You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. Let's read from Matthew 21, 1 through 11, shall we? You can look it up on your phone, and I want someone to read it out loud. Oh, it is up here. Oh, great. Someone out loud read this. Tiny font. I want it all in the same thing. Anyone want to do it? Someone has the microphone. Okay, great. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find the donkey tied there with her coat by her. Unite them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see see that a king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a coat, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the coat and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Thank you, Charles. Let's pray before we keep going, shall we? Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Oh, I can't believe the day has come. I didn't think it would. But here we are. I'm shocked, but I'm ready to see what happens next. So it's an, it's an exciting day in some ways. But there's some anxiety around it, too. Who knows what's going to happen? I can tell you what I hope happens. I really hope they get him. I really hope Donald Trump goes to jail. He's indicted. 34 counts. 34 counts on the former president. That seems like a lot, at least to me. You know, I don't have any. I just got new child abuse clearances and criminal record check. I'm good. I got nothing. He has a lot more than me. I can't believe it. And, you know, all across the country today, at least in certain churches, people are going to be, this is Palm Sunday, right? The week of Jesus' arrest. And people are not are going to make a connection between Donald Trump and Jesus being arrested. Okay? And they'll feel like they're persecuted like Jesus was, and like Donald Trump is persecuted like Jesus was. And they'll think their disciples are freedom fighters, politically resisting the empire. And they'll think like the people that did it on January 6th were really like into it. And that's going to happen. And that's wrong and weird and inappropriate. I just want to say that to you. And I'm saying this for two reasons. One, 
I'm, I'm going to make a political point about the passage we just read. I'm going to do that. I'm not above doing that. I like doing that. I think it's important. I do it all the time. You know me. and not What you see is what you get. I'm happy to do it. I think we're supposed to do that. I think it's important to make, to, 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 to engage in a, in a political hermeneutic when we read the Bible. Okay? I think that's important. And really, it was the politics of a certain president like tw- almost 20 years ago. George W. Bush, he had this infamous, deadly, terrible war in Iraq 20 years ago, like two, like two weeks ago. It happened 20 years ago. And that brought me into fellowship here in the Circle of Hope. Some of you were there. You know, 20 years ago, my friend Sean told me he was going to Circle of Hope. We were in the same... Uh, we were, he was in the 10th floor of Hardwick Hall, and I was on the 11th floor and didn't have air conditioning at the time, so it was, like, hot. And he said he was coming here, and he, he, he told me I should come, too. So, like, I was uh, kind of figuring out who I was, how my faith was working. You know, I'm a pacifist. I'm, you know, anti-establishment, that kind of person. Um, kind of figuring out how I'm going to be in the world, how it's going to work. I joined him. I was, I was nervous. I was skeptical. Took the orange line. I mean, I didn't, we, I didn't take a, the bus for some reason, which would have been easier. Took the orange line all the way down to City Hall, then transferred, got off the Burke stop up here. And then I walked down towards Frankfurt Ave. It was a much, much different place then. It was really different. I mean, it's, a, it's like a, there's nothing. It feels like nothing could go wrong between here and Burke's. But then it felt scary. You know, I was new... But, you know, I thought, I thought it was different then. I don't know. That's, what I, that's how I feel. That's how I felt. It's a lot different than it is now. And then the church was upstairs for some reason. I was like, I don't know what the hell's going on. They played songs I didn't know, you know. Meanwhile, we played Faith Plastic Trees. So I was just like, well, I guess some things haven't changed. <laughs> and this is just a wild situation, right? We got to the space late. I went upstairs. I don't know what to expect. I was a vegan at the time. There were snacks out. I don't know if they were vegan. And then I saw this bumper sticker. I've told the story 10,000 times, so some of you know it, but I like saying it. The computer monitors had depth and width. There were like boxes then, okay? Some of you don't know this, okay? This is how it was before. I don't even know if we had internet access. Like, I don't, I, did we? Did we have a dial-up connection? I don't know. It's like before the internet was invented, I feel like. But there was a sticker, and it said, the war in Iraq, no, you know. And I was like, whoa, there's Christians like, like that. That's pretty cool. And then Josh and I, the pastor at the time, some of you know Josh, and my homie, we talked. And then he started talking about Noam Chomsky and Howard Zinn with me and things like that. And I was like, whoa, this is so cool. I can hang here, you know. I thought this could be the place for me. Bible-believing Christians, Jesus followers that don't like Dick Cheney. That's good. You know, but this, this kind of political orientation that the congregation had helped me stay in, right? So, like, yeah, I'm going to talk about Trump, too. Like, that's just, that's what got me here. I feel like that's good to say. 
Um, and, you know, 20, 20 years later, I still want the politics of Jesus. And I really hate to, to utter that phrase for many, many reasons. Some of you know why. I want that to inform my politics as best as it can. Instead, I want it to inform my politics as opposed to my politics to inform it. You know, I don't know if the insurrectionist style people, they might think that they're also like getting the same input from Jesus and they're not like putting stuff from them into reading. And it's, it's a dance that we all do and we try to figure it out. I have a, a hermeneutic kind of like Bryant was talking about, about like Jesus being on the side of the oppressed and that's how I see the whole Bible and see the whole Christian tradition and that speaks to me, you know. So that's what I still want to do. So I'm going to talk about the politics of this passage, um, but in a way that I hope is authentic to what Jesus has done in my life. You know, so that's one thing. The other re- but the other reason I'm, I, I'm, I'm cautious is because you know, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know, maybe I'm, this is bad, but I really don't want to relate the passage too much to the circumstance that we're in as a church. It's a little bit too one-to-one, right? Like, and and I, don't, I don't feel comfortable with that. Um, like, I think it's weird to talk like we're entering Jesus' week to death. And in many ways, Circle of Hope is dying in some way. So it's like, I don't, that, it's too on the nose. And like, maybe not what we want to do. I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe it is, but for me, I just don't want to make that connection that explicit, you know? Like, the, I don't think there's very good analogies here, and I don't want to make them. So I want to tell you what, the story again, what it means to me. So there's not going to be some great analogy between the triumphant entry and Donald Trump, or with our own little death walk, and that's a network of cells forming congregations. I don't want to do that, but I do want to get to what we're talking about. Israel is awaiting a savior to liberate them. This is a political savior, okay? It's also a spiritual savior. And in the Bible, there's no distinction between political things and religious things. They're the same thing. They're not, there's no difference. They, they can't conceive of the sociological difference that we have as Americans in particular. They're connected all the time. Politics and faith and spirituality are one and the same. There's no difference. You know, we, I don't want to get into like what we do in the U.S., but we separate them a lot. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to. I thought like, maybe I could. Could I talk about this for another 10 minutes there? You guys already took all the time. Um, <laughs> So they're hoping for liberation from the Roman emperor, Roman overlords. And I want to emphasize that. It's against Rome. You know, this is the liberation from Rome. It's not against Jewish people. Just like Egypt before oppressed them, they're trying to get out of it. They want liberation, and they have a way to envision it. And God doesn't offer liberation to Israel in the way that it expects. You know, when he, when he freed them from Egypt... He left them kingless. God left them kingless with God as their authority. They begged for a king, and they got one, and eventually they got a kingdom that was overtaken by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and eventually the Persian Empire conquered them, but they they were free to worship in that empire. And then Rome eventually took over Persia, and that's where they find themselves today, under Roman occupation. And so for many Jewish folks on Palm Sunday, the triumphant entry 
was meant to symbolize a sort of political liberation that they were waiting for, that Jesus was going to come and save them from their political problem. But he didn't arrive in the way they were expecting. Jesus will grant political liberation for these people, but he does a lot more than that. In fact, what he would offer would be so different than they were expecting that the crowd a week later would be shouting to crucify him. Something happens that's different. So they were shouting, Hosanna, God save us, for help, for salvation, for liberation. They're welcoming in their Messiah. He's coming on a colt no one has ridden before. So he isn't making it unclear that this is a royal and political event. A lot of times you'll hear some unusual interpretation that says the colt is a humble animal and that kings don't ride colts, they ride horses. A A colt that no one's ridden on is in Jewish tradition. This is specific, right? Although Matthew says it's weird because he says there's two animals. They brought the donkey and the colt and they placed cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. Is he straddling both animals? Like, I don't know what Matthew is saying. Like, it's not clear. It seems like, what, what do you mean? He's, is, he, is he lying? on? Luke only has one. Matthew has two. So I th- it's just interesting to me that it's not that clear what the Bible says. You know, <laughs> it isn't it funny. Anyway, um, so this cult happens. This is political liberation is begin, beginning. They're shouting blessings to the king who comes in the name of God. They know it's political. The, the religious leaders around them know it's political. The Pharisees know it's political. And those people are interested in political liberation. They're related to Jesus. They expect this from Jesus. They will not be the ones that kill Jesus. Mind you, the Pharisees warned Jesus that Herod wanted to kill him. They warned Jesus against crucifixion. They did not kill Jesus. They tried to save Jesus. And then their disciples are being all loud. And they tell them, quiet down, quiet down. Why are they telling them to quiet down? There's the same reason a black mom tells her son When you see a cop, don't get in their face. This is how you talk to cops, because they're going to do bad things to you. Don't make it so loud. Like, if they know what's happening, bad things are going to happen to us. Don't be calling about another king right now. Get your people to quiet down. This is, they're causing too much of an uprising, and we're in a situation where bad things could happen to us, especially if you're talking about a new king and, a new, a new, and you're calling him Lord, and there's problems, there's political problems. You're provoking it, so chill. But Jesus has the favor of the crowd. He's not trying to appease them. He's provoking a radical change in the whole cosmos. His arrival will make us more human and more alive and render death, death. He ups the ante and he doesn't negotiate with his oppressors. He maintains prophetic and inspired. That's what prophets do. And he lost followers when he demonstrates this. The people that welcome him as a liberator will participate in killing him at the end of the week. They make a choice. Things don't go as they plan. Things don't go as we plan sometimes. All the time. And things didn't really go as planned for us as a community, even in Circle of Hope for me. 
I don't think that, that it's, it's because like we followed in Jesus' footsteps exactly and we're going to get crucified too. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go that far. But just relate to that moment that they expected one thing and something else happened. Same thing's happening here to some extent. Faced with an uncertain future, I hope we can cling to the one who blessed us because he comes in the name of the Lord. So we take up our own cross on Palm Sunday to follow Jesus into a new world and into a new way. We're invited to live a life following Jesus, even if it threatens the peace of our household and the peace of our lives and the peace of our society. We're disrupting things like Jesus was. It's scary. And sometimes things that we disrupt will fall apart. And if they do, that's okay. It's worth it. It's worth losing some things in order to live fully. To live into fully who you are and who we are. It's hard to do that. There's a high cost to it. You lose some things, but I hope what we gain is better. But you don't know, because you have what you have, and then you don't know what the future is. You don't know what's next. You can't, you can't predict it. You, know, you have your stuff, and then you take a risk to disrupt it, hoping you gain more, hoping it's better, but you don't know what's going to come after that. I mean, you know your past, you know your present. You can't know the future. It's not, it's not possible. So, you know, we had a vision to be an anti-racist, anti-oppression church. I mean, that's part of what got me here to begin with from the 90s. And, you know, there was moments where the passion for that waned during my time. You know, I, can, I was used as a white as a token to assuage white guilt, all sorts of problems. People named the hypocrisy among us, they were cast aside. But when we did pursue anti-racism, like we said we would, like we said we were, things did change. But it was hard. People turned their backs on us. People left us. The demon of white supremacy is too much to bear. You know, I'm left with an open question about whether a white church can defeat racism, you know. And for what it's worth, West Philly Mennonite is like 10,000 times whiter than you are, you know? So it's like, I don't, it's like, I don't know what's going to happen. That seems like a large percentage to me. I don't know. It just, uh, it's just very white. I don't know. There's some, whatever, I don't want to talk about them too much. You know, I'll probably tell you about them later. But, you know, and I still have that question. Like, what do I do here? How do I engage in this? What's going to happen? You know, is this just how white churches are? I guess I'll find out, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I cashed my first royalty check, by the way, and Jesus takes a side, so thank you for that. Not to, uh, you know, I want to be humble, so I'm not going to tell you the number. <laughs> There's books for sale back there, too, if you want. You know, but the demon of white supremacy that infected the church. And we are more diverse now, but we're still a historically white church, which is important to know that like the people of color now that are among us don't make us not a white church. What is a historical institution still is white, right? And, and, and our inability to reckon with that is why we're discerning separately as congregations, why the structure of the church is changing. 
That's why it's breaking apart. That's why the congregations are doing their own things. That's my, that's my, if you have that question, that's my answer to you. Just mine, and other people might have different ones. That's what I can say to you, okay? And that's, that's, that's what I'll say, and I'm, I won't say more about it. So what will come of this moment isn't clear. Because we've lost money, we've lost people, we're going to lose this building, at least I think. I'm leaving, I know that's scary, things are scary, it's risky, it's hard. But you're all moving in a different direction, and I'm moving in one direction too. And that's the first time that's happening, where we're going different ways. So for the first time in a long time, we're getting to greet a Savior walking down into Jerusalem, shouting Hosanna in the highest, wondering what his inauguration will mean for us now, next. I knew what it meant for me then, 20 years ago. And I'm grateful for the journey, you know. Y'all have uh, made a mark on me, you know. I'm grateful for the people that have mentored me in this time. And they weren't perfect, and sometimes they cause problems, you know. But in me, I am trying to find the gratitude for them, you know. I mentioned Joshua before, and he means something to me. You know, and for the people that, st- for the leaders that stood by my side, stood side by side with me, you know, I'm really grateful for Julie Hoke, for example. And for all of you, for the work we've done, for the work you've done. I know who I am, I know what my work is in the world because of you. And I'm thankful for that. The order of the church is changing. And so this is new in many ways. But the order of the church didn't hold the truth that's within you. The building didn't. The structure of Circle of Hope didn't. That was just something that held it. You still have the good stuff in you. You, are the, you have it. So I hope you can hold on to the truth that the Savior's kingdom is inaugurated no matter where you go. That truth people can't take from you. So whether you leave, like I'm leaving, so you, you, maybe, you'll, maybe you'll leave too. Not with me, just do your own thing. Or whether you take a break. Or whether you continue to journey with this group of people into what they're doing next. I hope that you don't waver in the ways that Jesus has formed you and how he has made a claim on you. I hope you keep the faith, but remember, even if you lose the faith, even if you don't call yourself a Christian, the way that Jesus has formed you now can still count. You feel me? You've been shaped still. A mark has been made on you. And even if you reject all of that, there is still shaping that happens in the rejection. Hold on, learn what happened, who you are, why you're one thing and not another. Pay attention to your past. Let it shape you in the present. You know, for me, Jesus has made a claim on me. Circle of Hope has um, influenced me. It's ignorant for me to ignore that. So I'm going to try to do the same. And I hope that you can take what we did together and use it for good and hold on to the good and learn from our mistakes and move into something new, no matter where you are or what you're doing. 
There's no clear path for any of us. And you're figuring it out, and so am I. And I think that we did do good work together. Sometimes we caused harm. Sometimes I caused harm. And repenting of that harm is important, and letting go and moving into something new is important, right? It's important to be able to say sorry and to apologize and to do that repentance and then to move into something next and not sit in the condemnation. That doesn't mean ignoring what you did. It doesn't mean not acknowledging that you did it. You have to, you have to hold it and, and do your best to repair things. But not to continually condemn yourself. Sometimes life's like that. There's a hope in there's hope in uh, defeating the devils that we face. Something new is happening. Death is coming. Resurrection follows. So hold on to it. Hold it close. Hold it this week. Hold it into this week, as we approach death together, one last time together, and the sun will rise. Die what you need to die to, and then rise again. I'll do the same with you. I love you very much, and God is here, and God is good. Peace to you. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhopenet.com.